It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into another weekly edition of the Skinny Podcast, the Potpourri edition, presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor, with my man Rick Brewing. As always, we go with a lot of local topics, some national topics, and some offbeat topics. We've got a lot of local stuff to talk about this week, especially on the college basketball front. We're going to save NFL draft stuff till next week's podcast, where we will literally be one day away from the draft, and at that point, I will have done my final of 10 mock drafts. So uh, we'll wait until then. So we got a lot of other ground to cover. And we'll start with you, Rick. Take it away. Skinny, the coaching carousel continues. Cincinnati named former NKU head coach John Brannon as Mick Cronin's replacement on Sunday. Brandon went 81-51 and 51 in four seasons with Northern Kentucky from 2015 to 2019. He reached the NCAA tournament in 2017 and 2019, winning the Horizon League regular season championship in each of the past two seasons. The deal is for six years at $1.5 million a year with a lot of incentives, mostly based on getting past the first round of the tournament. We already said last week we thought Brandon was the best guy for the job. How do you think he handled the press conference and the first 48 hours on the job? I thought he was really good. I thought, you know, he he was funny. He was self-deprecating. Um, he talked about style of play, which if you're a fan, you're looking for something different in style of play, all of those things. So he passed test number one, which doesn't surprise me. I mean, you know, John's got that that deep kind of almost monotonish voice, but he does have a sense of humor. I think he can be self-deprecating, um, but he also can coach. So it, it's funny. It always seems like the easy choice is not the right choice and sometimes the right choice shouldn't be an easy choice this just seemed like the right easy choice from the get-go I've always loved listening to John talk because I think he doesn't I mean he uses coaching cliches as they all do but I think a lot of times he answers pretty honestly and gives you good basketball information if you listen to like his press conferences for instance so I usually enjoy hearing him talk like that but I also didn't know how this big of a moment, this big of a press conference, he's not, as you said, the most energetic guy or anything. I thought he nailed it mm-hmm. in terms of like just the the whole tenor that he took, joking at the beginning, sort of showing off his personality, also kind of just being more of a, seeming much more approachable than, I mean, when you're replacing a guy like Mick Cronin, I think that's a good idea to be yeah, it's, more it's, approachable. It's, 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 it's just a different personality. Yeah, and he came off as very approachable. And I don't think that's necessarily something I would have said about him going in. I would have been like, oh, yeah, he's the most approachable guy ever. But he seemed that way um, in his interviews. So I thought, I thought he knocked it out of the park. I mean, when you're talking about the talking points he hit on, he talked about playing fast on both ends of the court. Um, he talked about he made a special reference to recruiting, not just in Ohio and Indiana, right. Kentucky, but he said, we're coming for you. Pretty much making a point that we're not going to shy away from top flight talents. We're going to go after the biggest and best recruits in our area and outside of it. Um, he talked about the former players, how this is their program. They're welcome to come back. Um, and I think that's important. I think it's 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 also, it's important to say. It sounds like it's something easy to say, but I think it's important to say. Yeah, and we'll talk more about the former player right. stuff in a minute. Right. But I, I just thought, in terms of like when you're going down the list of sort of like what did UC fans want to hear about, those things were definitely on there. And he also said, I understand the expectation is competing for Final Four championships. That I mean, like that is our expectation. That's what they brought me in here to do is get past the first weekend he pretty much addressed he knows the shortcomings of the program and what fans have been upset about without in any way being disrespectful or anything like that to Mick Cronin I thought it was a home run or a slam dunk I guess would be the better yeah. uh, cliche here of a press conference yeah and now it's a matter of, of of hiring a staff and obviously some of that's a little fluid because of uh, potentially and we'll get to this in a minute uh, his assistant Chris Shumate whether he gets the NKU job or not I would assume if he doesn't he probably comes over here with John to UC maybe it's a bad assumption but I think that's a 
that, that's a good assumption. And then, you know, I've heard he's had tenors, tenor, tentacles out to SEC assistants, uh, AAC assistants. So I think he's going to get a good staff. And I think some of the success at NKU was was staff related. I think he did a good job getting a good staff. He was a he's a good coach. Um, he he earned what he got and, and earned the the you know the the success NKU had. But some of that also was he had a pretty good staff. And I think sometimes that gets lost in the shuffle when you, you it's always it's Mike Shashevsky program it's John Calipari's program those guys be the first to tell you yeah I, I'm, I'm the figurehead and I'm, I'm the CEO but these guys are the grassroots people I need them too I'm the closer I'll, I'll do the closing and I'm the one that's the face and I'm the one that's the press conferences but these guys are, are just as important I think any head coach that worth his salt should know that and does know that well I felt like they all did a great job of developing um, right. players in town they all kind of had their own role within within NKU's program I think, that, too. I, think, I think that gets lost sometimes because I think you know you see people get hung up on stars right five star four star three star all those things you know a three star guy just means that's what you are then that doesn't mean what you 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 have to turn out to be and maybe that's just that's your ceiling that's all you're ever going to be right that that level of talent but I think the, the good coaches do take the two star and make him a three or a four star or fit him into a spot. Make the four star into an NBA level player. Make a three star into a a, a solid starting player and, and, a, and, a, and a real com- contributor and all those things. I think that gets lost a lot of times. I think people look and go, wait a minute, that guy averaged only 13 and 8 in high school and he's 6'11? I mean, can he do more? Couldn't do it then because he's not ready. But you're, you're not a done deal at age 18 either. So, right, and especially when you're unless at, you're LeBron James, especially when you're at NKU's level, you have to develop right. guys because you're Correct. not going to have finished Correct. products at all. But I think also not just that they all developed the talent, but that they all seem to have sort of their own niche within the program in terms of what their value was. Like you hear a lot with Sean Dwyer, who I think whether he's an assistant coach or maybe even a support role um, on John Staff, I think there's a chance he could come right. over. You hear a lot when they talk about him about his analytics and his video knowledge, breaking down film and stuff like that. I think he was really good at that type of stuff and then when you talk about Tim Moore great big man development the last few years look at what Chris Vogt has turned into right. under his tutelage um, and then Shoemate you know same I mean that's a guy who has had some SEC assistant offers the last few years he already coached at Tennessee before in his yep. career he's at NKU he had the chance to leave a few times for SEC assistant jobs he turned those down to stay at NKU and and probably fight for this head coaching job that he knew was coming sooner than later. And, and now he's at, at bat for that, but he can recruit, he can develop guys. He was a great player himself in college at Murray state. So I, I think he, John did a great job of assembling a staff at NKU. And I think that's going to be hugely important to him at UC, even though it'll be different guys, probably it won't be all the same guys. I think he'll do a great job of putting that staff together and he's going to have to, because uh, it, it's, I honestly feel that was one of Mick's biggest shortcomings while he was at UC. The fact that they didn't have a coach ready to take over the program when he left is an indictment on the assistant coaches that he had had on staff there. It's not like any of them had left recently to take a head coaching job elsewhere. So he wasn't, it's not like he had to keep replenishing those guys. None of his assistants have gone on to go take those head coaching jobs anywhere. So he really just hasn't, he had never developed anyone while he's at UC as sort of that next person in line. People will say Larry Davis, but he never got a job up until the point, and then Mick kept him on staff after he was assaulted someone on a plane. Well, and then so, after, after that, you would think that interim year would have gotten Larry some looks, right? Because he, did he did a pretty good job yeah, from an X and O standpoint and holding that team together. Theoretically, yeah, and, and he didn't get any offers either. So, yeah, I do think putting together an assistant coaching staff will be really important, but it'll also be something that John excels at and maybe a, a sort of an upgrade from what Mick had while he was at UC. 
Skinny, the reaction to Coach Brandon's hiring has been a topic of conversation around the city. It seems the Cincinnati media are fawning over the hire. The UC fan base seems to be somewhat reunited over bringing him in. But a group of former UC players that played under Bob Huggins have created a stir by criticizing Mike Bone and the university for not interviewing Nick Van Elksel or Eric Martin. What do you make of the reaction, both good and bad, to John Brandon being hired? Shame on those players. I mean, this is your program, and you have to trust those in charge to make the right hire. And... um, I would I would say this. I I did a podcast with Chad Brendel, our, our college basketball podcast buddy, and he pointed the finger at this on, on Huggins of of maybe him rallying the ex players to do this sort of thing. I, I I have no reason to doubt Chad on that. I I, I think it's shameful. I think it's shameful for everybody involved. Look, if you're going to put resumes together, let's just put. And I did this with the Zach Taylor hire. Remember, I I said, look, it could work. I'm not telling you it's not going to work. I, I don't I don't know that. You don't know that. Fans don't know that either way. I just know that when a stack of resumes come across somebody's desk or however processes like that work, you sort through them and you're looking for certain things. And sometimes people just on their resume they haven't done quite enough to even get an interview. All right, I said I said this I think last week. Nick Van Exel, to his credit. Much like Pat Ewing, his, he, he has not used whatever name recognition he has to just try to get whatever. He's working his way through the ranks as an NBA assistant. Pat did the same thing. And Pat had far more name cachet than Nick Van Exel ever had and never will have. Right. Um, and Pat went the hard route. And finally, he got a head coaching job at his alma mater at the right place, right time. And again, I don't know if Pat's going to work out or not. I think he's off to an okay start. And we'll see where it goes. But he, he was great because Nick's doing the same thing. And I, I applaud I want everybody, I applaud Nick for that. I applaud Nick for, look... You see a lot lesser names who are head coaches, and every once in a while I look up in the NBA, I'm like, who's that guy who's a head coach? Right. I'm sure you do too, and you follow it probably more than I do. In fact, there was a guy that got fired last week. I'm like, who? Who was that yeah, guy? Yeah. I don't remember that guy. So, you know, you, you, you see that. So he's, he's done that. Look, Eric Martin is one of the chief recruiters at West Virginia, and while they've had some success under Bob Huggins, some ultimate success getting the Final Fours, they've also had a couple sub-500 seasons in here, too. So it's not like you've got a great pipeline of players that he's bringing you. Well, plus, name me the other job in the last five years that, that Eric Martin was a candidate even for. even mentioned for. Not one. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe there is some. Maybe it's UMKC or Maryland-Baltimore uh, County nothing, or something. nothing that we've heard of that right. would be on the level of you. So, again, if we're doing blind resumes here, yeah, Nick Van Exel's name recognition at the University of Cincinnati for fans is higher than John Brandon's. Yeah, Eric Martin's is probably too, although Eric was not the caliber player that, that Nick was. I mean, Nick's a, a freaking legend, and rightfully so. But when you stack up coaching resumes, you're talking about a guy who was a was a was an assistant coach, cut his teeth in some major programs with some major coaches along the way, finally got his his bite at the apple to be a head coach at a, at a mid-major program, did as much as you could do at a mid-major other than, you know, making one of those magical sweet 16 runs at a team like Florida Gulf Coast does every once in a while. Um, but he he did everything that you would look at and go on a resume, okay, it's time for him to take the next step. It's his turn. He's done these things. As long as he nails the interview and 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 we are on the same page as a athletic director and a head coach, he's my guy. I, I'm sorry that these guys aren't, they're not ready yet based on resume. And I'm not telling you, Nick Van Exel, maybe one day in the NBA, we're going to look up and he's got four championship rings. Maybe. And good for, I hope it happens for Nick. But when you're stacking up resumes today, John Brandon was, was a home run and there would have been probably 10 other resumes that would have crossed Mike Bone's desk or whatever search firm's desk that would have gone ahead of the pile of Nick Van Exel and Eric Martin. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. 
Yeah, I think... And you, if people can't understand that, then you're just dumb. And these are former players. You might just be dumb. Well, they're also former players that were on Huggins' roster Correct. that had major APR problems when he left. And there's probably a reason for that. They probably weren't very smart. And they're probably still not very smart, some of them. Um, and, why, and why are you taking this so personal is the part I don't get. Yeah, that's the bizarre thing. Now, here, here's where I it's think... It's not like John Brandon has been MFing this program up one side and down the other, and suddenly, wait a minute, you're taking the trade? You're taking this guy? No, but you know who has been MFing this program up and down one side the other since he left is Bob Huggins. Correct. And these guys were Bob Huggins' guys. And where it became personal is Mick Cronin got the job. None of Bob and none of his guys were happy about Which is shameful Bob too. being forced out just two years prior. Well, that, that was Bob's fault. It was Bob's fault. And there's no reason to be mad at anyone else except for Bob Huggins Mick about Cronin didn't that. push him out. No, of course not. But then in addition to that, you've got a guy like Mick Cronin who with his ego and the way he, he is, he was like, okay. Well, screw you guys. You're not on my side. You're against us. And he basically, that bur- bridge was burnt. It, it, it was it, on it, both sides. Yes, correct. Not just the players correct. and not just Mick, but both That's sides. Correct. They were basically said, we don't need each and other. it felt like the last year when they brought Huggins and that, that team back, maybe that was a nice little stepping stone, right? Yeah, but, but realistically, I know, we but knew it, it wasn't. But I know, but at least, it's a, it's a, at least it's a little bit of a branch that was held out. Yes. And so now I think everyone saw this as the opportunity that once that relationship was done, maybe enough time had passed, those guys could could come home. And that, that's really the issue here, right, is that no one wants to hear from these former players right now if you're a UC fan. And maybe I'm speaking out of turn because I'm obviously not a UC fan. But if I'm a UC fan, I don't want to hear from any of these former players who haven't been around the program in the right. last two decades supporting them since they left. Like, these guys have not been around talking about or knowing what's and going on the program to the point that they should be giving their input on who the new head coach should be. And, and look, there, there has been a faction. It's been unfortunate. I mean, there has been the Huggins faction that has held on to, to him in that, that era. Which I would also remind you, the last eight years of that year, they didn't get out of the first week in the NCAA tournament. Or they got out one time, I'm sorry. Yeah, once. So just, I just want to remind people of that fact. They put um, um, And then there was a faction that, that was that was obviously pro-Mick. Pro and, and so those factions never seemed to meet. Right? Well, so now all of that's pushed to the past. Here comes a fresh face, an outsider. Maybe that's a, here's an outsider. Well, Bob Huggins was initially an outsider. And if you look at resumes, Bob Huggins had success at Akron. What happened to him? Got the job at UC, and at the time, that was the right jump for a coach to make. UC, UC's program then wasn't even close to what it is today. McCronin had success at a mid-major. What did he get? Got the chance. It was a, on a assistant on a major staff at Louisville. It had been perfect timing. Per, same for now. John Brandon, success at a mid-major. Perfect time. Look, th- th- this was the right guy. Now, whether it works out or not, I can't tell you, and, and only time's going to tell. But based on where we are, based on resumes, based on accomplishments, he is easily the right guy how'd Chris Mullen work out how's Pat Ewing working out right now I think Penny Hardaway will do pretty good because I really think if you got the right guy in place in Memphis with the AAU circuit there and all the talent around that that it'll work but your one wasn't a slam dunk and I didn't expect your one to be a slam dunk right but okay I mean just because you were a former player or a former legend doesn't mean it's going to work you need to have the resume yeah and then I saw some guys that their their argument was okay, maybe he wasn't going to get the job, but how can you not at least give him an interview? And to that, I'm like, that's almost worse to me because if you don't even have an intention on hiring a guy, you don't think he has the resume to even be in the the conversation. Giving him the interview to me would be, um, one, misleading to all those people who are trying to promote him, and two, just kind of, Almost a waste offensive. of time. A waste of time. Yeah, but almost offensive if you're Nick. If you go in, do that interview, and then realize I wasn't even play for this. Now, maybe there's an argument that, well, he it's good for him to be seen that he's a candidate for the job. But let me turn that around. The other side of that is 
They don't have a plan on hiring him. They bring him in for an interview. Then the next time he goes for a head coaching job somewhere else, maybe at a smaller school, they look and say, well, his alma mater didn't even want him. Why would we? He interviewed for his alma mater and they didn't choose him. Why should we? So I don't think that's, I don't necessarily I don't follow that. that logic by players. Yeah, I don't know about that part. I, I There's a lot of coaches who feel that way. There's assistant coaches who feel that way. If they don't think they can get a job, they don't want to be the guy who lost out on a oh, job, I'll, especially I'll, if it's I'll a school that, that they I, had a connection I don't to. think if I'd look at a school and go, he didn't even get a job as alma mater, I'd look at the resume at that point in time myself as an AD and go, look, he wasn't ready then, three but, years later. I mean, honestly, right now for Nick Van Exel, if, if he wants to be a head coach in college, I think you do the route. Go take the Winthrop job, or go take the Gulf Coast job. Go no, take, take assistant take, coaching job. Take, take the Mercer job. Yeah, or, go or take an assistant coaching job. Correct. In, and in I college. think I think he's got enough cachet as a former player to step right into a fairly major role at a fairly decent sized college. I mean, real, I mean, hell, maybe John would reach out to Nick Van Exel. You're not going to do it now, but that, right. that, that's a potential guy you reach out to, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe had not all this all not happened, yeah. he might have been a decent candidate for that spot. Although, I mean, again, you need recruiting from your assistant coaches. Correct. And that's the one thing that would be most concerning about Nick Van Exel is we have no idea what he would do as a recruiter. Correct. And it probably wouldn't be very good for a while. So I just don't see that as even a remotely possible option. I think it's shameful what these players, if you want to unite the program and it's you a care joke. about the program, and that's why I give John credit. John to talk about it's their program. It is your program. And, and I would say, again, if this was some just completely off the wall hire that you got Jeff Jones, Division Three head coach from Timbuktu who... Had been a 500 coach there, but somehow maybe Mike Bone felt like, boy, Jeff is going to, he's, for whatever reason, I feel good about Jeff. Then I'd go, wait a minute, what are you doing? You doing this on your gut? Right. No, you're doing this based on a resume, based on your knowledge of the guy, based on what he has accomplished. Why does that make it seem so hard for everybody to understand? Yeah, despite all that nonsense going on, I thought John nailed it, though, by just totally taking the high road and saying, it's your program, you don't call, just come by whenever you time, yes. and the only issue is you're going to have to talk to our team if you do it. I'm going to make you talk to our guys because I want I you think to be it's a part of the program. Absolutely. I think he handled it the sure. perfect way. Let's flip, let's flip the script a little bit, though, and talk about the positive reaction because I do yes. think, I think there, there is, is an been, aspect yes. of where this fan base, the, I think going into it, it was kind of half and half. There were people that they were going to be sold no matter who it was because it's, it's an yes, exciting it's time it, right, when you right, get a new coach right, at your favorite right. program. And there was another half that was mad about all the stuff that had been printed about the way Mick, Mick's exit was handled and that the school didn't do more to keep him and they were worried about bringing in a guy with John's resume thinking UC should be able to attract more than that now, which I think is a bit ridiculous to think. But it, it seemed 50-50 going in. The after the press conference, it seemed like UC fans outside of their former players, almost everyone is in, they're on board. And I do think there is a unique chance for John to kind of be the guy that bridges the gap between the people who are never going to accept Mick. Yeah, you got to have success, right? And the I mean, people who right. are on Mick's side. Yeah, you got to have success. Oh, of course. But um, but yeah, at least at least for now, I think that that is the case. And and like I said, it, it goes back to if, if you're a UC fan and, and in this process, you're worried about the unknown this is a known. I mean, this is a guy who's done some things as a head coach. I mean, I hate to be be an ass about this, but he exited his team, exited the NCAA tournament at the same time your team did. Yep. Same round, same level. Actually, a day later, right? No, no, actually, a, a few hours later. <laughs> a few hours later. A few hours later. Yeah. So they were in the tournament longer. You can say that John Brandon's team was in the NCAA tournament longer than, than Mick Cronin's. Lasted team. longer. Lasted longer. I, yeah, I, I, again, the, the thing is, it, it I, the one faction that probably is out there that it's always just seemed like it was too easy, right? This is just too easy. Well, sometimes easy is good. Yeah, and I, the easy button. Sometimes. I think there were a decent amount of people that felt that way, or felt like he's just not. If if he, we if he wasn't across the river, he wouldn't be getting this job. He wouldn't be the guy. Um, but 
all of that seemed to go away after the press conference. I think he kind of won those people who were not quite sold with what he did that first day, and that's easy to do. Correct. I, the whole win the we, press we, we, conference We talk thing, about that all the time. It's a joke. That, it, hey, Jim won the press conference. Great. I hope Jim wins his first game. It's silly, but I do think there are guys who come off that, like, they're not quite as impressive, right? It's like, okay, they were good, and their fans will like him, but outsiders don't necessarily look at it and go, oh, yeah, he, he was really good. I thought anyone who watched John's press conference was like, if you have any knowledge of what's been going on at UC, you're like, that was that was pretty good. He did a really good job with that. Uh, skinny Cincinnati fans have gotten used to a signature defensive, grinded out style over the last 13 years under Cronin's tenure. It seems like fans are mixed on how much they want the program style to change. But one thing is clear, they definitely want more postseason success. So let me ask you this. What do you think will be the biggest differences between John Brandon and Mick Cronin as coaches? It's going to be the the, the, the different guys they recruit. I mean, I think John's going to try to recruit guys with more offensive skill that, that again, they may not be as hard-nosed. They may not be as good on the defensive end. You feel like, all right, we can coach that into them. We can make it work. Um, it, it'll be a different player for sure. And, and look, Mick had his system, and he recruited that system. He he felt that was the best way to win, and there's it's inarguable, and you're with me, it's inarguable that it was successful to a point. Yep. All right? Now you're looking to do something different to get it above that point, and maybe Mick has it right all along. Maybe we'll find out that Look, you're just not going to get that level of player who's got that. If that guy's got that kind of offensive talent, he's going to Tennessee or he's going to Michigan State or he's going to India, whatever. Pick a pick a a, a Power Five conference program that you're just that that Mick saw. Maybe Mick maybe Mick was right. Maybe that's what he saw. He saw that that the guy I can get is this guy that I can mold into my style of play. That I know this going in. He's an athlete. and He's going to defend. I know that. I, I got that going for me. I'll figure out the rest along the way. I think you're going to see that that for John is is there's no doubt. I mean, what he said is not lip service. He and we saw it at NKU. They want to push. They want to get up and down. They want to run. Um, he can play with an undersized post who who slogs his way down the floor and catches a th- catches it and jacks up a three, and he's fine with him jacking up ten of those threes. You're going to get a different player than that at UC. Probably you're not going to get a Drew. The Drew is just a different talent. He's a perfect mid major four or five guy. Just yep. a perfect perfect guy for that role. But I do think you'll see him recruit differently, and that's where I think if you're Jaron Cumberland, you're like. Man, I can spend my last year under an offensive-oriented coach, maybe show my skills a little more. If I'm Samari Curtis, I'm looking and going, wait a minute, man, I was, I was a 35-point-a-game scorer here, and uh, he's an offensive guy, and uh, I've got a chance to be in kind of a free-flow different uh, – sure, sign me up for it. I, I think that's the difference, as you'll see. And it, it's hard for me to knock Mick. I, I really can't because I know what he felt like he, he could do in that program, that that was the player he could recruit, feel safe in recruiting, feel safe in building his program that way, and it just goes back to – because let's face it, Hugs lived off of Hugs lived off the Final Four, and yeah, he had a couple of elite eights after that. But again, if you look at those last eight years of, of his run, it mirrors what Mick did in the post. It really does, almost down to a to a T, yep. what he did. And, and so maybe for Mick, I, it was the whole "This is what I think I can do," and I'm going to hope that you know, I get a man. And again, if they'd have done what they should have done last year. Mick would probably still be the coach at Cincinnati. Um, a, a lot of a lot of things, but bottom line is, I, you're going to see a different player. I think Mick got scarred when he was in the Big East. Those first years, he didn't have enough talent. He didn't even but, have close. God, but love he him. was also competing in a conference that was just was absurdly loaded. Yes, and we even see now. Look at the Big East. How close all those teams are paired up. I mean, right. one we through saw ten this year. is a grind every single night. And when you go on the road, it's hard to be consistent. So I think, and I don't think the Big East then was a round robin. But you certainly didn't matter if it was a round robin or not. There weren't there weren't slouches in that league. Uh, yeah, ever. And I think he got scarred by the fact that if he didn't have that requisite talent or toughness 
and and um, defensive discipline. You couldn't compete. Well, and you would get blown out on the road. Right. You'd be inconsistent. You couldn't compete regularly in that type of league. So he, he got kind of scarred by that fact and felt like he just had to do that to survive and fight for his life at all times. And it's like, at some point, you stabilized the program. And maybe you felt in the Big East you still weren't going to be out to, able to out-recruit some of those programs, so you still had to do it. But once you moved to the AAC... You could take his, to me, his issues was he limited himself because when he'd take his flyers, not every guy is going to be Jaron Cumberland, right? You're only going to get those one or two guys every couple of years at a place like UC who are legit talents, like high major, no doubt, top 100 type guys. The rest of the guys, you're going to, it's going to be take and give, you know, some of them are better, more skilled. Some of them are more athletic. Some of them are super tough kids. Some of them are super high IQ kids that just know how to play the game. And someone should have been the shooter. And he seemed to always err on the side of, I just want the one who's tough and athletic. Yeah, I, I don't I ever it. want the high IQ guy or the guy who's just a good player, or the guy who's just a good shooter. He never seemed to figure out how to do that. But all the offensive and defensive stuff, I think it's way more because if you look at his teams, he's had enough offensive talent in the last Five years, a lot of times. Jaron Cumberland. Well, the team two years ago, for sure. Yeah, Jaron Cumberland's a hell of a scorer. When you look at the two NBA guys with Gary Clark and Jacob Evans, and in addition to uh, uh, Kyle, Kyle, Kyle Washington, Washington yeah. and a young Jaron Cumberland on that team, you had tons of offensive talent. So to me, the biggest difference between these two coaches on the offensive side of things aren't going to be as much the talent level and the fact that he'll go out and get shooters. It's what he'll do with the guys that he has on the offensive end, which is, to me, the biggest problem with Mick is the pace of play on the offense. Not running up and down the court, full court, and playing in transition, but once you get into the half court and you're running your stuff, the dribble the clock out for 15 seconds until we get late in the shot clock and then hoist up a bad shot late because we didn't really run anything is going to be a thing of the past. John is going to have his guys fly into the front court as fast as he can get it there because he wants as much time on the shot clock. First good look. And, and then they're going to cut with precision and with speed, and they're going to move the ball around at an elite level. And we might find out at that level it's the wrong thing to do. I don't think we will, but we may find out that Mick was right all along, and we might find out that if Nick had, Nick had done something a little bit different, maybe things would have ended up different. Yeah. Now, I think John will adapt to the talent and the personnel that he has. I think he'll change up what he does some offensively. But this past year and, and through, I think, a decent amount of his tenure, he ran ball screen motion stuff, ball screen continuity, what we saw Virginia switch to and win the title right. with this year. Open the offense up. Give your guys more chances to make plays. The other thing, um, last point on this that I love about John Brand on the offensive end, he is great at taking a guy who may be limited offensively and putting him in the best position to succeed. And whether that be a scorer, whether that be a facilitator, whether that be that guy is just great at operating ISO in the short corner and we need to get him in spots to do that, or he's really athletic and we can let him rip through on the right side if we isolate him on that side of the court. He is awesome at doing that. I saw him do it with Jalen Tate when Jalen Tate didn't really have any offensive skills yet. This year he developed, Jalen Tate became the point guard, and he still kept putting Jalen Tate in good positions to to score, even though naturally he's not a great shooter, he's not super skilled. So I think that's the, the biggest difference you'll see from John and Mick is just the amount of things he'll do on the offensive end to play faster, play with more precision, move the ball around quicker, and put his guys in better positions to succeed. I think that's going to make a big difference, especially when you talk about some of the guys on the roster, if he's able to keep like a Keith Williams, who struggled right. at times to get it going in Mick's offense. I think he'll be greatly benefited by playing for John Brandon. Yeah, it, it, it is going to be different for sure. And I think that's the, that's the, if you're a UC fan and you want a different, you're going to get different. Yep. Northern Kentucky hired a search firm to handle its head coaching search to replace John Brandon. There have been a lot of rumors floating around the last few days. We know interviews have started. Winthrop head coach Pat Kelsey and Xavier assistant Dante Jackson. It was reported they had interviewed already. Uh, NKU assistant Chris Shumate has or will interview as well. 
Who do you think will be NKU's next head coach? I would say Pat Kelsey's probably the leading candidate, but we've seen Pat kind of wig out before, right? Yes. Um, the UMass thing's just hard to get past. It, and I know it, everyone it, will say it was because UMass was cheating, but my counter to that would be, if you were going to accept a job, at what like how did that just come up on the right, right before you were about to sign did, the contract? Did you not vet it enough yourself? Yeah, I mean, to me, that was just a little unprepared. If it was really because they sprung some cheating on you at the last minute, you thought, one, I, I'm not strong enough to be able to, to clean this up on my own and, and stand up yeah, to the I'm AD sure or any blame, If, if, if it got sprung on me at the last second, I may say, whoa, time out here, man. This should have come up earlier. Well, that's the argument here, right? right? Is that they sprung right. on the last minute. That is the Kelsey right. side argument. It hasn't come from him directly. He's taking the high road. But anyone who's close to him, if you mention his name on social media, someone will chirp at you saying, UMass was cheating. UMass was cheating. Any, anyone to avoid that. So I st- I'd still have questions about it, though. That is a very weird situation for you to just leave a school at the altar after you already signed. Uh, it wasn't a contract, but it was um, some type of, of an agreement. Yeah. yeah, referendum or something. Yeah, uh, probably just a, yeah, an agreement, ag- agreement to sign a contract. Right. Um, but Pat, Pat has been an assistant at a high level program. He's been at Xavier head coach of his own program and had success. I think, again, if you're looking at resumes and yeah, the UMass factor comes into play, but if you're looking at resumes and again, I think the local angle doesn't hurt. I think Pat's probably the guy. Now, if at the end of the day, you can't look past the UMass situation, then I think you turn to Chris Shumate and I I think you go the assistant coach route. It's... I know people will say, well, wouldn't you, you know, we've accomplished more than that. Well, it's worked for Xavier several times, and Xavier's further up the rung of ladder than, than NKU is, and they haven't been afraid to do that. Um, again, if you can get a head coach with, with experience and success, and he's willing to come kind of mid-major, it's kind of mid-major to mid-major, right? Probably a little step up from the mid-major, but basically mid-major to mid-major. This is almost somewhat of a lateral move in that in that regard. I, I think you'd be silly not, not, to, not to take Pat. I really do. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of felt like, he, he wouldn't um, wouldn't want to leave Winthrop for a job like NKU. I think people are not understanding how good of a, a position NKU is in after yeah. what John just did. Because you have recruits who have now seen NKU in two of the last three NCAA tournaments. You have a program where coaches, assistant coaches, want to be there to advance their career now Dude, because they just saw... The facilities good. You're near a big city. There's a lot of positives. There's really a lot are. of positives going for it. And even, uh, you know, you look at what John was making last year, which I believe was 370000 right. um, and then he had incentives, that, but the base was three seventy. From what I understand, I think NKU would like to come in with this new coach around three hundred, three hundred fifty thousand dollars $350,000 probably. That's more than Pat Kelsey is making at Winthrop, right. believe it or not. So they'd be giving him a pay raise, and oh yeah, He's coming he'd home. be coming home. Yeah. So I think... And it's a school where his brother and sister, maybe multiple, were Hall of Famers. I well, mean, his brother-in-law, Paul Cluxton, Paul was, Cluxton was, was a Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. His sister Katie was was a, I don't know if she's a Hall of Famer. If she's not, she probably should be. She might be. A Hall I think of she's Famer. a Hall of Famer. You're yeah. right. Um, obviously, Walt is his brother. Uh, Mike is, was a was a great player. Mike's in the Hall of Fame yet or not? But he probably should be at some point. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot, a lot of, of ties to that program and history. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, so I, I I've been talking to a lot of people, and I mean, it's not 100 percent confirmed, but I have multiple sources that have pretty much told me that Pat Kelsey has or will interview Dante Jackson from Xavier, which was an assistant under Dave Beasel at NKU right. at one point, uh, did get an interview already. Um, Luke Murray was offered an interview, but I believe he turned it down. Now, he, would, I heard. Now, he, would have, he would take a pay. I mean, if he would take that job, it would be a pay cut from what he's making at Louisville. Yeah. Right? And that's not always the reason. I mean, if you want to be a head coach, man, 
sometimes you just got to go be a head coach, right? Yeah, I, I exactly. And I think a lot of the guys that were at the high major, because um, one of the other names, Tom Ostrom from Indiana, he'd be another guy that would likely right. be taking a pay cut. But I, like I said, job, if you want to be a head coach, you got to go be a head coach. Yeah, and I've heard he he would really like this job. I think he's definitely in there trying to get it. Um, also, Ryan Peden from Ohio State, another guy right. would probably be taking a, a pay cut. Um, and then we talked about Shoemate. So, uh, those are the guys that I've heard either have interviewed or will interview. I think they're supposed to wrap those up by Thursday. And then after that, um, I think we're maybe looking at uh, bring the bring the finalist or two back for uh, the weekend and, and kind of finalize announce things the coach there. On Monday or Tuesday, right? So that's the expectation. If I had to put a leader in the clubhouse right now, I think it'd be Pat, Pat Kelsey. Kelsey. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 think it, I think it would be too. Yeah. All right, Skinny, time to switch gears here. Tiger Woods won his fifth Masters on Sunday, ending an 11-year drought with a major win and 14 years since the last time he won the Masters. It marked his 81st victory overall in the PGA Tour and his 15th major overall, leaving him just three shy of Jack Nicklaus. Was that the most meaningful moment in golf in the last three decades? And I say that I'm, I'm 31, and I'm trying to remember what was the biggest golf moment in my life, the, the moment golf-wise, that got the entire nation talking about it for now three days, essentially. I mean, it's been everywhere I go. Moms, like aunts, like women everywhere are talking about it. It is everywhere. Pro- what other golf stories? Yeah, probably like Tiger completing the Tiger Slam. I mean, that, that, at, the, at the height of his thing, it's funny. I was talking to somebody. Uh, my daughter played golf in college, and his daughter, uh, if she hadn't gotten hurt, would have played golf in college. So we both grew up with daughters, golfing daughters. And my daughter's now a high school golf coach, and she and I talk all the time. I said, man, the level of play has just gone backwards. I mean, my gosh, when you played, there was a, so many good players. And he and I were talking last night. He said, why do you think that is? I said, there's no doubt in my mind that when Tiger was coming through initially, it wasn't just me who fell in love with with that and, and old Fred down the street. It was mom Sally and daughter Susie, and everybody suddenly wanted to be a golfer. And hence, you saw the boom of golf, not just courses going up and more rounds being played and all of that. All of a sudden, you got all these girls and women who now love the game because of Tiger Woods. And then it kind of slid back downhill. And I think you've seen kind of the erosion a little bit. Courses have closed. Not as many rounds being played. um, You know, not as many women involved in the game anymore. And so Sunday in my family, it galvanized our family. I mean, we're sitting there. Everybody's watching. I I have a hard cheering, right? Yeah, I'm not. I I don't. I I was rooting for myself. He wasn't on my team sheet. I root for me. He he wasn't on my 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 master sheet. So actually, he was a B player on our list. I think I had Francesco Molinari was my B player. So I I was kind of rooting against in that regard. But I was still fascinated by it. I was still awed by it because I I mean I I did a segment last year on the Sports Authority after one of the majors, and I mean after Tiger Tiger won his his PGA event last year, and and Jed Demusi was hosting asked me. Do you think Tiger will ever win a major again? I said, no, not a chance. I said, I said health. I said, not just health. I said, it's just all these players today. I mean, there's just, even if he plays well, I don't think he's going to be able to play well enough to beat these guys. And if you looked at the leaderboard on Saturday and Sunday, you could go, wait, there's a major champion, and there's a two-time major champion, and there's a five-time major champion, and there's a two-time major, and there's another major. I mean, they were all across the leaderboard. This wasn't like these guys all had an off week, and suddenly Tiger beat five guys you're not going to hear of in three years, right? The, he, this was all those dudes, man. They were there. That's the shocking part about it because the way, I don't, I don't want to say crumbled, but the way it kind of broke for him. Somebody and, dropped one in the water. Somebody three-putted. Brooks Kepka three-putted. It, it, it wasn't guys that, like, it did feel like they were getting shook yes. by, by knowing Tiger was coming up behind them. But these aren't guys that should have been shook. It right. wasn't young guys that were out of their element. And these then he were made stars. the shots. And then he made the shots too. It wasn't just them. And it wasn't just them falling apart either. It was him. He was, he, he was playing big time. Correct. It was I, fun to watch. I, I, this is the thing. I mean, at his age, 
through all the physical stuff he's gone through. Um, the, the, the other stuff is on him. I mean, the, the other stuff off the course he did to himself. So I got he got nobody to blame but himself for that stuff. But the physical maladies, the age, the level of competition, that's the part to me. I there's if you'd have given me a thousand dollars and said I'll give you, it, would, would you bet Tiger? I'll, I'll give you the thousand, but you have to bet it on Tiger at a hundred to one to win majors, or you can pocket the thousand. I'd have pocketed the thousand oh, for sure. Yeah. I would have pocketed and been happy to pocket it and said, not a chance. There's no way this cat ever wins another major. Now I'm looking up and going, all right, he might win another one this year. And suddenly then if the chase for Jack is on, then you're going to, you're going to see a boon again. That's the, you have a lot of faith that if he get if he gets another one, yep. then all of a sudden the confidence that he can catch Jack. And the only key the is roof, the, does opinion. the health again. I mean, cause with backs, I mean, it, you never especially know. in this game, you got so much torque involved, but it's been you fused know, now. Skinny. Correct. It's fused it's together, fused, but man, the back, when the back gets fused, that, <laughs> I that, don't know what it does. I don't want that, my back. What well, can I tell you? It's I, fused. I don't want my back fused at any point. I don't know what that. It doesn't sound good, does I, it? I don't know, but it fixed it apparently. I fi- he looked great. I, I mean, he looks physically great. I mean, the dude had like seventeen different surgeries on his back, and neck, finally, neck and back, and they finally, the fusion was what correct. worked, right? I mean, they, they, they no talked about last year at the uh, last year at the Champions Dinner that he had to take a nerve blocker just to be able to sit through the dinner, and then he left the next day to go go to England to get surgery on the back. I mean. Think about that. You can't even sit through a dinner without a nerve block. I'm not talking about a, we're not talking about painkiller. We're talking about nerve blocker. That doesn't sound. I don't want it. Well, actually, that I does sound pretty great. Blocker. That You're sounds right. really that's good. good. I was, but I don't know if I want to be at a dinner with a nerve blocker. You give me a nerve blocker right yeah. now after good, my shift and doing this podcast. That's a good, that's a good I could call. go you, sleep for yeah, the next yeah, eleven hours. Yeah, they, 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 you wouldn't. You'd be like one of the dwarfs, man. You wouldn't be able to wake up. Um, but no, I, it, it is. It is fascinating to me. It really and truly is. I was just stunned by the amount of like I had seen throughout the weekend. I was in different spots with different people you know some was like oh they're a golf fan and they're a casual golf fan and like everyone was not just watching the tv but cheering and yelling at the tv during the masters i thought it was one of the funniest things i just there was people who were don't normally do that and i've seen them before i've seen golf events on around them before and i've never seen them react to it and they're yelling at the tv all of a sudden i was like this is so bizarre to me because i'm not i'm not a big golf guy i played it uh when i was younger some and then once one time my brother beat me i threw my driver brother around is, a though. tree yeah he's a big golfer my dad's a big golfer um so i'm in it i know it enough and and i was just like i care somewhat i definitely don't care as much as everybody else like i couldn't fawn all the fake emotion that every, everyone was trying to outdo each other about but how fasc- cool but this it was it fascinated you it, though, did it it fascinates me more how interested everyone else was i think okay but i, I do think it's cool like i'm not against it at all i'm not trying to like uh, be the downer in this situation. No, no. It was just really fascinating to me how much everyone cared. And I was like, I can't think of a golf event that was ever like that during my lifetime. Even though I know Tiger was huge when we were young, the biggest thing I remember yeah, was him th- getting in trouble. Yeah, for me, I mean, there were a couple of Ryder Cups along the way that, that, that intrigued me, but the casual golf fan wasn't intrigued by it. They're intrigued by this. That, that's, why, that's my point. This intrigued mom, daughter, Uncle Joe, Father for I mean everybody. Yeah. Random people in the newsroom who yes. didn't know anything about sports wanted to talk about it when Correct. I got in Sunday night late. I mean it's just it was it was a different thing. I mean, the, we don't have that in NBA or NFL very often no. where things like that happen that universally everyone's no, I mean, talking if about. If LeBron is going if he's winning a championship at age forty two, it might captivate you like that, right? That if, holy cow if he had completely fallen off from a right, public, you right. know, had a public disgrace and had well, multiple he just, injuries. He just, he just did with the Lakers, didn't he? I don't think that quite reached Tiger Woods. That's levels. a good point. That's Not a good point. Quite. 
All right, Skinny, it is time, our favorite time of the podcast, to uh, get Buffoon- off the Buffoonery. Beat. I call yeah. it the buffoonery section. The bu- buffoonery segment. Sometimes it's ghost segment, sometimes it's buffoonery, and today it is buffoonery at the oh highest my. level. Chaos descended on a Wisconsin Walmart store Wednesday night after a karate-performing mother, her naked son, and their belligerent dog shoplifted and ran amok in the store. First of all, the belligerent dog line to this lead, I just love. I think the naked dog's my favorite. I mean, the naked son's my favorite. Well, but a dog was belligerent. Just that, what was he drunk? Is he hitting on your girlfriend and wouldn't listen to her? German Shepherd that Turn just hasn't down? eaten in five days. That could be belligerent, yes. Police said the officers responded to a call that Lisa Smith, 46, and her dog Bo shoplifted items from the store. Bo. The woman's son, 26-year-old Benny Van, Benny Van is a sweet name for a guy who got naked in a Walmart in Wisconsin, was causing chaos in the store as well. Police learned that Smith came into the shop with her dog, Bo, unleashed. The dog immediately ran off towards customers while she was pulling apart displays in the store and placing them in her cart. Distraction. After being told to leave the store, the woman began showing off her karate moves in the parking lot to fend off police Karate man! You karate man! hi that's awesome. The dog tried to flee the crime scene, albeit unsuccessfully, with a box of Jiffy Cornbread muffin mix in his mouth. After a brief fight with the officers, Smith was arrested. As a last-ditch attempt, she tried to kick a window out of a police car. Meanwhile, her son was getting fully naked and began exposing himself to other customers at the store. He then tried to cover himself with new clothes from the store without intending to pay for them, police said, which they don't know. They don't, they don't know. know he wasn't going to pay for that. See, that's why you can't arrest them inside the store. you got to wait till they get out. Yeah, you can't assume that. That's and correct. You have to add police said into this I learned report. that from an Andy Griffith episode. Kids, go go look at that. The shoplifting grandma. Yeah. It's on YouTube. You can't assume. Go ahead. The only character to get off scot-free is Bo the dog. Bo was caught by... Quote, this is a quote, by the way. Bo was caught by officers in the store and brought to the Humane Association. The dog was not charged. We issue him a warning for the theft, police said. Wait a minute. They issued the dog a warning. A warning. Yeah, the belligerent dog. They issued Bo. the dog. You sure they didn't issue belligerent the Bo. owner? Nope, belligerent Bo. She she got charged. I know, but but wait a minute. You can't. What, the dog the dog doesn't know that he got warned. You, uh, have you not have not, never looked at your dog and said no, bad boy? I have done that. That's a warning. Okay. Now he knows That's, he can't okay. go back to Walmart and steal Jiffy Mix. Jiffy Mix next time. Steal honestly, go steal a thing of a thing of dog food, Chief. You would think that would be a better yeah. option, but maybe he likes the good stuff. Maybe he does like. The maybe good they stuff. make him pancakes at home and with cornbread the, with the Jiffy Mix. Yeah, what's I want to ask you this, Skinny. I mean, this is quite the story for a family to just say, we got a Saturday free. Let's go to Walmart. Son, you can get naked and crank down in the middle of the store. Mom, you kick the police officer's ass with your black belt moves. And uh, Bo, the belligerent dog, you go run free and steal as much as you can. Pretty great day. I want to know what's the best family story you have where you guys just acted a fool in public and you look back at it and everyone just laughs. Oh, I don't know about the last. See, my, you don't, you my, don't have my, my, or is terrified because yeah, it's so cringy. My, the only person in my family that ever acts the fool in public is me. Well, that's so what I, I mean, figured. That's, that's why I wanted this uh, question this, in there. This is one that I'm very, I'm not f- proud of whatsoever. <laughs> this is when my oldest daughter was probably, see, probably eight or nine, and my youngest was probably three ish, four ish. We went to Disney World. Back then, we would take them to Disney World about every, felt like every year. And I want to stick a needle in my eye for having done that all those years. Although my daughter just got proposed to down at Disney World by her by her, by her fiance, which I wanted to punch him in the mouth for too. <laughs> Mike, dude, seriously, you, yeah, I'm happy for them. No, he's a good. Clearly, kid. you I seem am. very happy. Well, just because it just that that place just gives me the creeps. It yeah. really does. So we you went know. to a, it was kind of like a Western barbecue. We went for a dinner, right? And you had to get on the Disney shuttle bus to go there. And I probably got nah, I got overserved. Overserve myself. Okay. Let's, let's go there. Overserve myself. Probably. Well, somehow the the shuttle bus the shuttle bus left and there was a couple of families left behind and they said we'll have the other shuttle bus here in ten minutes. 
Well, 45 minutes later, the shuttle bus ain't there, and now I'm getting, I'm about to lose my mind. That doesn't sound like you. Shuttle bus finally shows up, and I just assassinate the driver. Had no real reason to, to assassinate him. So they drag me to the back of the bus and sit me down, and they're telling me, please be quiet. You're embarrassing the whole family, which I was. As I look back on it, I know that I was. At the time, I was just, I was angry. 40, don't tell me 15 minutes is 45 minutes. Whatever, man. I, you got enough money and buses on Disney property to get me back where I need to go within five minutes. And what I'm paying for this friggin' trip, I want a bus now. <laughs> so he finally told me that he was going to stop the bus and make me get off, make my family get off and walk back to our hotel. Yeah, which, of course, that. then I went a little crazier on him. To the point where finally he said, then you just get off. I'll take them back. To which I did and walked back. <laughs> now, who do you think won that situation? Um, it wasn't me. No. It was not that, me. I'd say that's an accurate it assessment. It was not me. No the, 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 no, the rest of my family doesn't really act the fool. The only other time that was for, for my youngest daughter was once when we were landing at LaGuardia when she all of a sudden yelled out at the airplane, oh my God, we're going down in the water. It freaked a few people out. Yeah, that's not you don't. <laughs> but she was only five at the time. She oh, didn't okay, know. She didn't okay. know any better. That's that's a little yeah. bit more understanding. Yeah, no, though. the only person to act a fool in public is unfortunately me. Yeah, we had a uh, pretty shout out to Disney properties. Thanks. Yeah, shout out to Disney properties. <laughs> Just keep the alligators away from the little kids because they'll occasionally eat one. Yeah, yeah, it's happened. It's happened. It's a fact. Uh, we had we used to go to Myrtle Beach occasionally as a family, and we had one where we'd drive because you got you got to five kids. No doubt, yep, dad's yep. cheap anyway. Yep. Um, and so we're all in the minivan, and as a father driving what 12, 14 hours, whatever it, it is, ain't down fun. to Myrtle Beach in a minivan, and he didn't trade off with anybody. That's a disaster. No, because I mean it was. Because he's the, that guy that he's got to drive the whole thing, right? It was got to be that guy. It was during the day anyway, so he wasn't going to be sleeping. Okay. So the all only right. time he'll do it is he has to sleep. But it, the rest of the time, he just freaks out that my mom's driving the whole time. It's just more stressful I, for everybody. I, I, I'm with him on that. So we get to Taco Bell. Him and my mom get into some type of small argument about something that. Over Chalupa. Yeah, it was something stupid, and everyone's just pissed off because you've been in a car for that long. My dad's been dealing with kids so this long. It sparks every fight in the so, car. So he's just got a short spark to begin with. Well, she's like, I'm, I don't want anything. I'm, I'm just going to go wait like outside. I just need some air or whatever. Being kind of dramatic as moms tend to do occasionally. So she goes outside, and then my dad is just pissed at that point for no reason. So we get our order from Taco Bell. We're all inside, right? And he comes, comes back to bring it to the table. And I'll just never forget as long as I live. He's like, where'd your mom go? It's like, oh, she went outside. She said she was she was gonna wait out there. He just grabs a chili cheese burrito and just sling grabs it off the tray for no reason. Didn't have to do it, it was already sat down. Just slings it towards the floor. But you know how Taco Bell has those like metal thing the metal uh stands that go to their chairs and tables yes. that connect. So there's all that metal underneath the stuff. So it just splats in the middle of that, like where that's all connected. And chili cheese burrito is just everywhere. I mean, all over the booth, all over the bottom of the table, all over all the metal crap that connects all those tables and chairs. And at this point, my dad has to get down on it. I mean, what do you, you do that? Now you got to clean up the mess. Correct. So now you just look like a complete idiot. And we're just there. Crap. I mean, at first we're like, kind of like, this is a little crazy that we've ever seen our dad. But then we have to see him get down on his hands and knees and wipe it all up. And we're just dying laughing. I did that once. We were down at the state golf tournament in Bowling Green. And it had been a long day. Rain delay. I mean, it just, it was a long weekend. The end of a long weekend, right? Everybody's tired. So we, we decided to get something on the road instead of stopping for something. So we stopped at a Sonic to, to get some stuff to go. So I ordered a, it was at the time, it was a BLT hamburger, right? Bacon, yeah. lettuce, tomato, hamburger. That's the way they kind of phrase it. That's what it was. Got my order in the bag. Take back off. About five minutes on the interstate, I said, I said, can I get my sandwich now? Sure. They hand me the sandwich forward. 
left the hamburger off of it. So all I did was I just rolled the window down, chucked the thing right out the window, <laughs> said said a few curse words, and moved on my way. And they all just sit, they still sit there to this day stunned that I did that. Yeah, that's that's just a grumpy <laughs> it was, move. It was right a there. complete grumpy move because honestly, I like. The BLT. It was like a. It was. It was a B. It was a BLT because there was bacon on it too. I could have eaten just a BLT at that point. Yeah, and nothing just, wrong with Just that. more than satisfied, but I was having none of it because my burger it, was not in it's there. Just the principle. Correct. Yeah. Correct. No, I wadded it up in the in the tin foil, chucked it right out the window. I, I I get that way sometimes too, where I do something that I immediately like. Why did I do that? That didn't help anyone, and I was totally fine with the situation as it was. I was only mad about the I, principle I think, at that. I moment. think part of it was. I think I said. Double check the order to the to the girls in the back, uh, and of course, what do you think that they did? They so you half were mad asked at your kids. The, yeah, I was mad at everybody. You were putting, I was mad a, show, at everybody you were putting your show on for your kids. Yes, correct. Yeah, I thought you were mad at the. Well, I, well, I, was, I was mad at the Sonic people again. It's a BLT burger. The burger is kind of a key element to that, right? You got to yeah. kind of put the burger on it to make but it the you BLT know burger. They're probably confused by the fact that everyone else in the world just calls it a bacon cheeseburger, but their dumbasses named it a no, BLT they, burger. Yeah, because they made it like a BLT and just put a burger on it, though. So that's the way they did. There was no other like condiments. There was no ketchup and mustard. It was it was to have a bun or normal bread? Yeah, it had, no, it had uh, it had white bread. Oh, so it was a BLT with yeah, a burger. BL, yeah, correct. Okay, correct. They I did. I, I never. I never ate it. It went out the window. Some. It's probably somewhere right. Some. Some poor guy on the on the Warren County Correctional Crew down there in Bowling Green, Kentucky, ended up picking that up. And I wonder if he ate it. Maybe yeah, he did. Well, maybe you, he looked and went, "This is perfect. This is a perfectly fine sandwich." That some idiot just threw away. It, wonder where the burger is. It, it might still be there. I don't think that it, stuff it, is like it, biodegradable. It, it might still be there. It's been about ten years, but it might still be there. Yeah. You, you might be right. All right. Well, I think that does it. That does it. All right. Next week, we will get into a lot of draft conversation. Uh, Bengals schedule also will be out uh, by that point. In fact, it's coming out on the eve of us doing this podcast. We'll have some Reds conversation uh, as they've struggled a little bit uh, on the West Coast after looking like they righted the ship. So we've got a lot more next week to, to bring you. Probably have an NKU head coaching hire by that point in time. Uh, so a lot of stuff to discuss next week as well. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the Potpourri Edition, presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati.